does collaboration look like? Before we answer that question, I want you to imagine you're on a brand new project with a new team. You've never worked with one another before, and all of you come from different backgrounds, have different talents, and have differing levels of experience. You might have different personalities and working styles, possibly different native languages, and your knowledge of metaphors and analogies could be very different from one another, along with your default communication style. So, what are some words that describe how you feel about going into the situation? Who do you think should get the conversation started? Who would you expect to take the lead when it comes to team collaboration? Now let's return back to the question of what collaboration looks like. At what point does collaboration even start? What's the first step? And what happens? And then what happens next? And after that? Draw what the process of collaboration looks like for you. Now let's move on to who is responsible for collaboration. When you responded to the earlier question about who leads the team's collaborative process, whose shoulders did that land on? Did you see yourself taking on that role? If so, good for you. In what way did you see yourself contributing? If you thought that leading collaboration is someone else's responsibility, I hope you might consider exploring the possibility that you could take that on and think about what you might need to do to get more comfortable with taking the lead there. Now before I dive further into collaboration, I want to first touch on how design thinking hinges on effective communication and collaboration. One extremely relevant aspect about communication is that it really necessitates that everyone is speaking the same language. Communication theorist Paul Watzlawick lays this all out in his theory of communication, which is essentially composed of five axioms. Part of designers' role is to interpret communications and information coming in from multiple sources, including stakeholders, their own team, and the audience of users. Let's get back to the cross-functional teams part, though. Those teams are filled with specialists and experts most often. And research into team behavior shows an interesting challenge that presents itself. The greater the number of experts and diversity on a team, also the greater opportunity for conflicts, bottlenecks, and stalemates. This study is described in the Harvard Business Review article, Eight Ways to Build Collaborative Teams. And it states, the qualities required for success are the same qualities that undermine success. Members of complex teams are less likely, absent of other influences, to share knowledge freely, to learn from one another, to shift workloads flexibly to break up unexpected bottlenecks, to help one another complete jobs and meet deadlines, and to share resources. In other words, to collaborate. They are less likely to say that they sink or swim together, want one another to succeed, or view their goals as compatible. You'll notice that there's a caveat, absent other influences, buried within those statements. That other influence can be someone who takes on that role of creating conditions conducive to good communication and collaboration. And I'd like to put forth the argument that designers are a shoe-in or a natural fit for this. That's because designers often find themselves at the confluence of what's feasible from a technology perspective, what's desirable from a user's perspective, and what's viable from a business perspective. 
the designer must effectively synthesize all of this into one cohesive whole, in other words, the design solution. And so designers not only act as receivers of all of those inputs and communication, but also as translators and transmitters of that solution to its intended audience, or in other words, the end user. So you can see how ensuring that everyone is speaking and hearing the same language is very critical here. And the sooner that it happens, the better. Designers also naturally find themselves at the center of a couple of other concepts and themes. The first is figuring out that sweet spot between what's possible, usable, and valued by the user, meaning they have to not only bring those things together, but find the right ratio of all of those elements. This, in turn, involves being strong proponents of iteration, meaning that designers often have to guide others in how to shift and adapt their ideas to figure out that sweet spot. In the process of this, it often provokes dialogue and debate because you'll find not everyone is going to be in sync with that dialogue. And collaboration is key to having everyone understand the same thing and agree to the same thing. Now, theoretically, this seems simple, but in practice, it can be quite challenging. So many times you'll be in meetings with people who think they're talking about the same thing, but over time it becomes clear that they aren't. Or, to put things in more everyday perspective, think of those times where the real message is invisible or between the lines, meaning it lies behind or beyond the words themselves. Think of the challenges you may have faced when receiving cryptic yet simple text messages, for example. Let's say you get a message that says, it's fine. Is it fine or is it the opposite of fine? As I'm sure many of us can attest to, the answer really depends on the context and tone of the person who has said it. So how do you go about from preventing miscommunications and ensuring great collaboration? Great question. I wish there was a magic formula. But one thing that I'll put forward is, visualizing ideas can be an incredibly powerful way of setting the stage for good, effective collaboration. Its directness and concreteness allows everyone to participate, giving them equal voice, and also allows them to visualize together and get to the crux of a conversation and discussion quickly. So a few best practices when it comes to visualizing ideas. The first is building upon improv ideas, that of yes and. The team needs to understand that suspending judgment and that building upon the ideas of each other and using lateral thinking is what's going to get them there. Also, the idea of discussing one idea at a time. But that, conversely speaking, you need to record lots and lots of rough ideas, and then you can go back and refine later. So there's a nice balance between going deep on one idea uh, and having lots and lots of idea, but enough details so that you remember what the idea was in the first place. In terms of tools and techniques, you needn't get very fancy. You can simply use large pieces of paper or a whiteboard just being sure to document things that happen in between on the whiteboard. It's very important that everyone see the work in progress. If you find yourself 
in the fortunate situation of being on a team where everyone wants to draw, you could try a design charrette or use one long sheet of paper where everyone can draw together. Better yet, you could have a shared meal and have that as your paper tablecloth and have everyone draw as they're eating. On the other end of the spectrum, you might find yourself on a team where there's a few reluctant folks who say that they're not creative or unable to draw, or maybe they're just uncomfortable with a lack of structure. In those cases, you can try something like a design prompt or a timed prompt, or encourage them to draw ugly so they become more comfortable with just drawing stick figures or concepts as opposed to picture-perfect images. You could also use grids and matrices to encourage people to sketch out ideas and concepts as opposed to icons and things and objects. If you're working with storytellers instead of people who draw, you could have them draw narratives or storyboards or even bubbles that link concepts and ideas to one another. Or you could have one person tell a story and another person draw it out. You can be very creative and mix and match all these techniques to see which one resonates with your team and go from there. If you're interested in exploring more activities and ideas, please take a look over at the resources. And you can also take a look at the book Drawing Ideas for ideas on how to make your drawings work for you in different types of settings and contexts. Now to wrap up. Let's talk a little bit about other ingredients that are important for good communications. Here's a few things that fall a little bit outside of the world of design, but inevitably are going to help make your life as a designer a lot easier. The first is around understanding cultural norms. Cultural norms are the standards that we live by, and they're the shared expectations and rules that guide the behavior of people within a group. Some things you might want to start conversation with is just talking about the ways that you want to work together and establishing some rules of play. One of the best ways of doing this is by talking about the team contract. Team contract can be very informal or it can be a lot more formal. You'll have to find the one that works for you and your team. Once a project is in progress, something that can be really, really helpful is to revisit that team contract and see what's working and not working and might need adjustment along the way. Officially, this is known as a retrospective, but a retrospective is often conducted at the end as opposed to throughout. Be sure whenever you're kicking things off, to talk with your team about doing retrospectives throughout the project and what the right amount of timing could be when you conduct that. Another important concept is just around trust and psychological safety. This means being able to empathize and take the perspectives of multiple team members. And so being able to use design thinking, not just in terms of generating solutions for the problem that you're trying to solve for, but also using design thinking for yourself and your teammates. Lastly, alignment is really, really critical. And I already touched on that earlier, but it can be really effective to document what everyone is working towards and how you all want to get there. Sometimes this takes place or takes shape in the form of a project charter or a team charter. Other times it's a lot more informal and it could just be a list or it could be tracked in a features document. But when everyone shares the same vision 
and the same idea of the pieces that need to be chipped away and in what order, things are certain to go a lot more smoothly.